Can I have a little music, please? Is that as loud as it's going to be, or... uh I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I gotta have my music. Do, 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 do. Oh, dude, do, you're ruining do, it. Do, you're do, ruining do. it again. Do, 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 do. Come on now. Do, 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 do. Everybody, sing okay, along so, with so the music. My big question is uh, you were away for a while. <laughs> you went on a vacation or something. It was Christmas or something. Somebody's evidently there was a holiday or something. Did you actually get away? There was, you know. Yes. Thank you, Northern Seminary, because they close offices between Christmas and New Year's, so you kind of get that little bonus week, which is great. But I you would have showed up anyway. But I I took a, a week off before that because my wife and I, Sid, we just signed a contract with InterVarsity to write a book together, and I was organizing my life. Wow, big news. Yeah, it's, it's great. And so I actually took that week off to be a work week so we could kind of get our lives and What's the title our of writing the book? plan. The the preliminary title is... We call that the working title. Yes, the working title is Does God Even Like Me? And we're playing off with the idea of... Does God even like me? Does God even like me? The idea is is that a lot of people are told that God loves them. But I find that that's, that just falls flat. Like, what does that even mean anymore? I don't even tell people, really, that God loves them. I say, God wants to be with you. God delights in you. God is excited about time with you. Now, that's those are the words I use to kind of wrap around this idea of God's By love. By the way, I don't want to put any, you know, I don't, I don't want to burst your bubble, but that sounds like my dog. What sounds like your dog? Well, I just want to be with you. Um, Fine, well, that could be your book. You can write a book about how God sounds <laughs> like a dog. But we haven't got, no, it sounds great, actually, and I look forward to it, and I've been, uh, I don't know, encouraging you a little bit here and there. Uh, yeah, yeah, so... Uh, so it's basically the idea that God with us is the main point of the Bible and the main point of discipleship and salvation. Yeah, uh, but but anyways, just the day before you were going to leave for this, uh, whatever this, vac- you called it a vacation. Working vacation, staycation. Yeah, um, I called you and said, hey, there's a uh, tweet by Tim Keller, and it's causing quite a stir. And I said, we got a podcast on this. And then you said something like, well, it's going to have to wait a couple of weeks. Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, I, a month it's been later. like a month, yeah. <laughs> but Tim, Tim Keller said this, and this was on uh, December 18th at 1.30 p.m. And it got 5,000 likes. Boy, I sh- I'd like to just get 500 likes. 50 likes. Anyways, no, not, not about me. But uh, he said, Jesus didn't come primarily to solve the economic, political, and social problems of the world. He came to forgive our sins. Let me just say that one more time Boom. so you can... Uh, I mean, it's got a rhetoric to it as as Dr. Reverend Maybe he's Keller. a preacher. Yeah. I mean, we would expect nothing less, but... Um, Hear it again. Jesus didn't come primarily to solve the economic, political, and social problems of the world. He came to forgive our sins. Um, So I know you got your take on that, but could you give us a little summary of how people responded? Besides the 5,000 people who loved it, obviously. What was some of the pushback? There was, uh, I mean, you can go to the Twitter feed and think, uh, you know, Rachel Held Evans... 
said this, and no first century Jew would even consider of parsing the personal from the collective. The vision was always for the kingdom of God, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven for the ultimate year of Jubilee. That's quite an, you know, that's quite a thick response by her, but she's she's upset with the, the separation, the primarily, in the forgiveness of sins versus socioeconomic. Our friend J.R. Woodward uh, shoots back a little bit. There was like, I don't know how many, you could go down on and on and on, where people were balking at this idea that Jesus uh, came primarily for forgiveness of sins, and I might add the individual's forgiveness of sins, right. and the social, economic transformation of the world. Could you explain to us a little bit more? Because you and I have actually written on this in a book which we don't want to mention right now. Uh, <laughs> but um, we've actually riffed on on. Tim, in in somewhat of an appreciative tone, uh, largely due to me because I'm that kind of guy. Uh, and and what does he actually mean? What is Tim getting at? Can I call you Tim, by the way, if you're listening? I'll call you. No, I'll call you Reverend Doctor Tim Keller because actually we do like this dude. I love this dude a lot. Yeah. So he wrote a book uh, called uh, Generous Justice. Uh, I think he wrote another book also about this topic. Um, where he just examines he actually quotes generous justice in the tweet feed. Uh, oh, okay. So he refers back. What do you call a Twitter stream? What do you call conversation? I think is what it's thread. They call thread. it a thread. There you go. That's what. All right. So we talk about how Keller champions the indelible link between individual conversion and then the reconciliation of the world. So he does, you know, to be fair, he does link the two of them. Yeah, I mean, not um, only to be fair, it, it, he does. It. He he says. Children of God, each one of us, when we are saved, we get an image of we. Each one of us can see the, that image that we see God looking at us with in the face of the other, and this moves us towards compassion and justice. And so, basically, the individual's experience of being justified by faith will naturally move us to see victims of injustice differently. When he he makes a big deal about how when you receive the the gift of God, of forgiveness, you see yourself as undeserving of God's grace. And that changes you so much that when you see a poor person, I'll quote, when you see a poor person, you realize you are looking in the mirror. And a life that's truly received grace, love, and forgiveness cannot help but be generous with love, mercy towards other people. That is, I think, the point, or at least one of the main points of generous justice. A truly redeemed person cannot not get involved in the justice of God in the world and making right all relationships. So it first starts with a renewed experience of the individual of God's grace, a touch of God's grace, a learning of God's mercy, which then is lived out case by case, individual by individual into the world to transform the world. And I remember having breakfast with a gentleman in our church uh, just asking him, I think it was a couple of years ago during like the Syrian crisis and immigration and uh, the freeze that was happening and things like that. And, um, you know, just asking, well, what is to be done? Like, how how will God change these things? And, you know, and for him, it, he just said, well, you know, God, God needs to change people's hearts. When hearts are changed, then it'll go out and things will be changed out in the world. Yeah. Um and so this is kind of the subtext between behind that tweet, which I think many people kind of understood. You think many people understood uh, what he was saying? Well, what Tim Keller was saying? 
Uh, no. Okay, no, no, you're right. So, we're, so we, we see him as having this this intimate link between the two, but it moves from the individual to the social. I think you're right. I think a lot of people read it as a total disunction, as in Jesus doesn't care about what happens in the world. He doesn't care about injustice in the world. He just wants to save personal sins. That's probably how people read him. That's probably why he got a lot of grief for that tweet. But I don't. I think that's an right. ungenerous that's why, way of that's of hearing. why he uh, shot back and said the key word is primarily. Um, and his, but but I, I want to be even more assertive on this, that I think Tim Keller sees it tied together, that there isn't a disjunction, that personal justification by faith in Christ, the receiving of forgiveness of sins, leads to it, it, you're, the sign that you have received is the forgiveness of sins. The sign that you have received it is worked out in the way you engage the world for justice. He sees them as inseparable. I think even in that book, which name will not be mentioned, uh, when we wrote, when we wrote that, I made a point of saying that that was that was important for evangelicals. That little that that work by Tim Keller to tie the two together. That it was no longer a disjunction, but it was an inseparable, inextricable link. And I appreciate that about Tim Keller, and he's to be applauded. I think for doing that. So what about the progressive pushback against him? What what are they up to? Well, I think the progressive uh, pushback, um, as as evidenced in Rachel Held Evans and others, is uh, one uh, that well, uh, the typical progressive idea over against you know the Hellenistic idea that we're separating individual from social or private from personal, private from public. Um, is there is no separation in the Jewish uh, Hebrew world. That's been somewhat debated uh, since, I mean, because there's a lot of, remember the old emergent peeps used to make a big deal about that? Uh, you were kind of in that emergent church thing. You were, like, dude. Don't just... Uh, uh, wait a minute. Uprooted our old 15-year-old Okay, don't bring group. that back up. Okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, uh, you know, some of us think that's probably an oversimplistic point. Uh, that um, the so-called Hellenization of Christianity is probably something overworked. Uh, do you have an opinion on that? Oh, uh, I have a big opinion. I just don't know if it belongs in this uh, podcast. Yes. Summary, there's people out there who want to know. Summarize in three sentences so or less. You may have heard that there's this disjunct between the Judaic culture or the Hellenistic culture of Israel and then the surrounding Greco-Roman world or the Hellenistic world. And that there's this transition in early Christianity from the Judaic uh, or, or Hebraic kind of worldview. Uh, and then in missions, it shifts to a Hellenistic worldview. And then a lot of people kind of see this as the corruption of the church by Greek philosophy. And then you get all these doctrines and blah, blah, blah. And I just think that that's an extremely simplistic way of understanding world history that uh, Israel had been conquered by the Greeks 300 years prior to Jesus. They had been assimilating and trying to figure out a relationship with Greek culture 300 years before Jesus was ever there. And so there was already uh, a mind meld or a mixing of all these influences, and you just can't disentangle them as just a Greek and a Hebrew kind of mindset about things. Uh, so that's my short version and of yeah, it. Yeah, and I have a little bit of a you know bone to pick with you on that because... You know, you've read John Howard Yoder's Jewish Schism uh, Realized or something. Uh, schism and Jewish, Jude, Jewish Schism something. I can't remember the title of the book, but it's all about how 
uh, Constantinianism, the creeds, uh, the Nicene, kind of Hellenized, separated. Uh, uh, the, the Roman church separated itself from the Jewish lineage of the nation of Israel. And the question is, uh, how did that corrupt Christianity? Having that's said, a, we that's gone, a real embodied view. What I'm talking about, what most people refer to, are these like opposing worldviews. I mean, there just aren't opposing worldviews. They're all everyone. Like, there's no American worldview, right? Like, you know, there's no. What about the synagogue? Uh, well, exactly. Okay, we're totally far okay. afield. What are we talking about? Okay, Back well, I don't to know Jesus, how we got on that, but the the individual. The fact is, justice. What um, are we doing? So the progressives. The fact is, though, that uh, progressives uh, don't want us. Don't want to separate the individual from the social. But my question is to all you progressives, and I include you in that, you. <laughs> I'm a progressive. Whatever. My question is you too start with the individual. And uh, by that I'm talking about, I think, Rachel Held Evans, sometimes at least. I mean, I don't read enough of her to know completely what I'm talking about. So I admit that and I submit to you. I submit to you, Jeff Holesclaw, Rachel, if you're if you're listening, I submit to you. Do 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 not progressives <clears throat> start with the individual as the singular unit to go out and engage justice in the world as a representative of Christ. And so dare I say, okay, and I'm 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 looking for some feedback here, Holesclaw. Don't dare I say that both aren't both Tim Keller and Rachel Held Evans, both starting with the same premise, the individual, one, the individual saved by grace through forgiveness goes out into the world, and the Protestant mainline and or progressive evangelical, the individual is called to go out and do justice in the world. Isn't it basically the same epistemological architecture? I don't know what epistemological architecture means, but I would say they're very similar. Each one moves from the individual with certain commitments and understandings uh, and moves out toward the social or the cultural society or cultural transform, whatever you want to put over there. They move from the individual to the social. Uh, what the individual is doing or is believing or what its values are are probably radically different, but I think the effect is the same. And that's because, and I know that that is the case, is because, especially for progressives, the role of the church is usually extremely minimal um, in whatever it is that they're hoping to accomplish in society, or it's a positive hindrance that the church needs to be discarded. It itself is a hindrance to social transformation. And so if that's the case, then you really are just appealing to individual uh, consciences, individual actions, which is not that different than what Keller is proposing in the way that grace and mercy is supposed to work out through the individual into reconciled relationships. And so, yes, I agree. And I think this is a fundamental kind of question is, is, is is the transformation or the hope for the world that God is working? Does it work from individuals to society, or is there another option? And I think, Dave Fitch, you're going to say there's another option. Right. So I want to, I want to, and and I think probably as I'm saying this, I'm hearing both Tim Keller and Rachel Held Evans responding by saying I have no problem with this, but. As opposed to starting with the individual, I want to start with the formation of a community which makes possible the individual. And then this community makes possible the engagement with the world. So, you know, not trying to be too cute here, 
But I want to challenge Tim Keller and Rachel Held Evans both to come out of their liberalism, get saved, and become an Anabaptist. Amen to that. And you, the are you re- singing the... Uh, the reason why you call them both... Are you both, singing the altar call now? The reason why you call them both liberals, I think is important. We cover this many times you know, throughout this podcast, throughout the different shows, is that there's it's what we call uh, political liberalism, which goes all the way back to the Enlightenment, which kind of wanted to cut out the legs from underneath tradition, cut out the legs from underneath uh, different social hierarchies like king and pope and things like that, and basically say actually the rights... Um, of our political organization belong to the individual. And only when the individual hands over their rights to a governing body is that governing body legitimate. That governing body is not legitimate because God instituted it or because they took it by force or things like that. But it's because the individuals have rights and then they can give or withhold those rights. This goes back to our previous episode about consent and consensual sex and things like that. Right. And so liberalism is really an attack on traditional hierarchies of which I think there are good benefits that come out of it. But Republicans and Democrats are all liberal in that sense that they prioritize individual rights. They just have different rights that they prioritize. Democrats prioritize like equality and expression of, uh, sexuality and identity and things like that. And conservatives prioritize the rights of property or something like that. Right. So, uh, but that's why you call them all liberals. If you're starting fundamentally with the individual person, that's a movement of liberalism. Well, but the church doesn't work that way. And Jesus didn't work that way. There is a social revolution of which started in Christ started with Israel, really, God calling Abraham and instituting uh, his people on Mount Sinai through Moses uh, is calling a people to live a different way, and the people need to do it as a people. Yeah. Um, Another way to look at this is, uh, uh, you know, I'm preaching this Sunday at Peace of Christ Church in Westmont on the text where Jesus uh, in Mark chapter 1 says, the kingdom of God is near, repent, believe. And then, and then he goes into calling people into a community. He goes into the disciples, follow me, and they get up and leave everything and follow him. And my, my point is, uh, when Jesus started the gospel, he, he didn't, what he started with by calling together a community, which shall be uh, the 12, uh, representative of the collective Israel, who shall be the witnesses to the rest of the world of what Jesus is doing and calling them into it. So he had choices. He had the Herodian or the Sadducee choice, which is we got to live with the government and just get along with them as best we can and use them to accomplish our purposes. Jesus says, no, I'm going to call the government into account. He had the choice to be in a scene, go out in the desert, stay away from everybody, get away. He rejected that, went right towards the uh, city. He had the choice of being a Pharisee, which is to make the kingdom all about moral purity and we're just going to live and let the public uh, manage itself as best we can. And uh, the fourth option was, uh, I can't remember what the fourth option was. You said the Sadducees? I already said the Sadducees. Pharisees, Pharisees. Essenes, Zealots. Zealots. The Zealots, uh, of course, violence, take over, just get rid of the Roman government, and he rejected this explicitly. Instead, he's going to call together a community, a revolution in a group of people by which this space shall become the witness for what God's doing and taking where God is taking the whole world through Jesus Christ. They just don't know it yet. And all this to say, the gospel doesn't begin only or primarily, as Reverend Dr. Keller says, with forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is the social 
breaking out of a new space where because of what God has done in Christ, forgiveness of sins manifests itself in a reconciled and forgiving community, not only internally but externally. And the same goes for everything else. So um, what, I'm, what I'm basically saying is um, Tim Keller's too liberal for me. And we need to and so st- are the progressives. We need to start with the formation of a community where forgiveness takes shape in a people and reconciliation is offered into the world. And from there, we engage the world. Um, you know, uh, we, can, we can close this uh, podcast off by talking about what is the gospel. What do you think the gospel is for Tim Keller? Well, I think N.T. Wright and Scott McKnight have pushed this so much that he'd probably answer it similarly to us, which is the gospel is for Tim Jesus, Keller. the Messiah, is Lord. Um, I assume he'd probably say something similar to that. But I think the outworking of the gospel is very much a penal substitutionary, individual guilt, uh, kind of atonement theory by which we can be forgiven um, our sins before a divine judge amidst his wrathful justice or something right. like that. Right, so the gospel of, for Tim Keller's point of the gospel of forgiveness of sins from through which the funnel of the individual being forgiven, justice enters the world. For, say, progressive evangelicals not calling out any particular name, what do you think the gospel is? It's the liberation from sinful and oppressive uh, world systems that keep human flourishing and God's love from flowing among us. Yeah. And, uh, the, the, so the way the church works for Tim Keller is individuals get saved. Uh, they get enlightened via that salvation to see what God, God's will and desires for the world. And they are sent out to go do it. The, the function of the church for a progressive evangelical is what? It is to become aware uh, of your own ingrained privilege or power if you're white and um, to live in solidarity with victims and the oppressed. And to go out and work as volunteers for this justice that God has called us to make real. So um, I know these, uh, you know, this sounds like caricatures. In one sense, they are. They're, they're over-simpl- total caricatures. simplifications, but... Um, but on the other hand, like I think when you, if you look at churches and you look at people's patterns and decisions, like the we're not too far off. I was just listening to Hidden Brain, you know, and they were talking about racism, and they said, uh, you know, certainly people are very guarded about their racism, uh, but if you check all the Google searches um, of racist jokes after Trump was elected, is you find out there's racist north, south, east, and west. Is that there's really no like it's not just that there's races in the South or in the rural America they're everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know and so, so so I, I know we're saying that, like these are caricatures but they're also they, they kind of do fit the mold, um, so yeah so I'm in with that so so um, you know the gospel that um, um, the third option okay and and reemphasize again these are caricatures and what what I'm really trying to do here not caricatures but they are simplifications simplifications and uh, you know by by labeling Tim Keller this and progressive evangelicals that that's a caricature but I am saying how you how you uh, articulate and describe and preach and proclaim the gospel shapes a people to be in the world a certain way and the third option for me is the NT right option which says, 
uh, the gospel is that God has fulfilled his promise to the nation of Israel to make the world right, to put it to rights in Jesus Christ. And in and through Jesus Christ and his rule and reign, he is at work doing that now until its completion. And will you, you are invited in to what God's doing in and through Jesus Christ, which, by the way, you will receive forgiveness of sins, which, by the way, you will participate in all God's doing to make the world right, including the liberation of the oppressed out of oppressive structures. And this be, and it starts with us living together under this reign and rule from which, as a community from which we engage the world. Amen. Amen. That's all you've got to say. Well, I mean, at this point, we're just going to go into a Christus Victor atonement theology and a bunch of other things. So if we don't if we don't stop now, we're not going to for another hour. What I just described is much more or much thicker or uh, than than the way Christus Victor has been described. In my opinion, it's all part of it. It's all part of it. You could say you could say that the third option, let's call it the N.T. right option, uh, uh, what do I want to say, uh, includes Christus Victor, forensic, exemplar, Jesus as exemplar, all those atonement uh, I agree. theologies. Yep. Folks, I hope we haven't bored you. I hope you, do you think people are still listening? It's compelling. Uh, absolutely. And they're mostly listening for two reasons, all the way up to this point at the 25-minute mark, because they want to know what you're reading, and they want to hear Fitch versus Fitch. So let's oh, get to it. Boy. What are you reading? I'll start I, while you think about it. I've been reading this book. I left the book upstairs. Uh, Talk while I get it up on my computer here. All right. I'm reading a book called The Soul of Shame. The Soul of Shame. Really? Uh, A couple people recommended it to me. Um, It is excellent. Like about halfway through the book, he has this whole chapter that just like peels back the layers about the fall and how the fall is really all a movement of shame. He kind of articulates how shame is actually the root of all sin. Uh, it's the, it's where like the the seven deadly sins kind of live on top of and manage different uh, shame kind of responses that we're all living into. It's it's fantastic. Uh, I'm just about finished, so I've been loving it. So it's called the Soul of Shame, and hopefully it's it's going to feed into that book about how God's like a dog. That remember that I'm working <laughs> on. So so it's gonna be it's gonna work into that. Ouch. Uh, I'm reading a book called Fieldwork in Theology. It's part of a course that. Uh, uh, Bob Price is teaching in our MATM on ethnography and evangelism. Uh, it's called Fieldwork in Theology by Chris Christian Sharon, S-C-H-A-R-E-N. It's getting into all of the nitty-gritty um, theology of doing fieldwork, doing ethnography, talking, listening, and engaging people, and then reflecting on God at work in the actual life experiences all around you. Um, it's, it's, the subtitle is Exploring the Social Context of God's Work in the World. You know, we cannot do theology in our heads sitting in a room like you and I are doing right now. We must be involved. What are you talking about? We're local pastors of local churches. We're not just I just said, like in we're sitting in a room right now talking. I mean, that's all good. But if you're not sitting across from somebody with a beer or... For those of us who are Christian Missionary Alliance, a, co- uh, a coffee, um, 
and talking about life, sharing life, asking good questions, hearing what is going on in people's lives, the struggles, the pains, the hurts, the joys, um, the powers at work. Uh, we can't reflect on how God engages. And so it's so important for what we do here in the MATM program. And it's, but, but this book has really been inspiring me on methodology, including Pierre Bourdieu and uh, Gast, um, Gaston Bachelard and some others uh, who are great theorists on ethnography, sociology, and how to talk to people. They sound like the French. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was my Monty Python. Uh, you, you don't ever. My advice <laughs> to you is: a, don't try to learn French. B, if you do go to a French country like Quebec, don't try to speak French. They will laugh, actually, be offended by you. I, I have no. But you're no used French. to offending people, so uh, that'll be no problem. All yes, right. exactly. Hey, uh, really quick, uh, you were bringing up the MATM and other things, but uh, the Theology on Mission podcast. We have reviews on iTunes, and we got a new review. And I'm just going to give a shout out to Seth Major for writing us a review. Thank you so you much. Already, I think thank you already plugged this review last time. I know. I plugged a different review. People are actually writing more oh, reviews. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's writing us a review. Uh, and one of the reasons why people love the podcast is for Fitch versus Fitch. And you wrote. I don't think people love this, by the way. I think you've made this up in your okay. mind. I love this. And therefore, I'm going <laughs> to keep doing it. You write. Jesus is the unwinding of antagonisms. Now, Dave Fitch, if that were true, why were people so mad at him all the time? Wait a minute. Where, when did I write that? G- yeah, exactly. That's why it's called Fitch versus Fitch, so you could be held accountable for the things you post online. Uh, you said Jesus is the unwinding of antagonisms, and I say, why can you was give me he a so hated? Facebook. Okay, question. Uh, just we don't have time to do much more than this, but I will say this. Um, I didn't say that Jesus... Um, doesn't stir up antagonism because he does his very presence disrupts i call it disruption not uh in a way that doesn't encourage or enforce antagonisms that weren't there before but those antagonisms come to light and they're stirred up and they're disrupted and you know what is the presence of christ that allows them then to be unwound and of course my favorite example is john chapter 8 beginning with verse 1, where Jesus, where the, where the woman caught in adultery is put there, and everyone's coming around, let's stone her, and they ask Jesus, you know, the antagonistic question, what does the law say? Can we stone her or not? Mm-hmm. That's what I call the example of ideologizing of what the law was, which was meant for good. It's, extract, it's extracted from its purpose in everyday life, and now becomes this ideology, and now we're going to stone this woman. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. He allows his presence to unwind. And then he says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. And it all twitters away. All right. <laughs> it twitters away? Did I say twitter? It ever flitters away. Flitters? And twitters away. Uh-huh. And space is opened for Jesus to be present with the woman and engage her on an interpersonal, personal, redemptive level. That's what I meant when I said Jesus unwinds. All antagonisms. So even though Jesus unwinds antagonisms, it might get uh, everyone might get really uh, agitated amidst the unwinding, disrupted. And I do believe this is the model for the church today and how we enter the world. A forthcoming book called Beyond Enemies: The Church's Reconciling Presence. So don't be surprised that if you unwind the antagonisms around you, that you'll end up carrying your cross just like you'll, Jesus. Yeah, hey, you'll, it's, it's like a good hockey check. Okay. 
Sometimes you just have to take the check to move the puck forward. Check? Do they write a check? Is okay, that- folks, that's it for Theology on Mission <laughs> podcast. So glad you uh, bore you know bore the pain of listening through to the end. For those of you who are left, and we will see you next time. Uh, for over and out, it's me, Dave Fitch, Fitchest at Twitter, and Jeff Holsglaw at Jeff Holsglaw on Twitter. Signing out, over and out, till next time.